for the for the month, for the speaker for tonight. <laughs> I was going to say the month of December. So, uh, it's written. I'm just reading what I got here. The speaker for tonight is Chris S. He's from Pottersville, New Jersey, where they don't have any addresses. I'd like to welcome Chris S. <laughs> Evening, everybody. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Chris. I had a separation experience uh, in uh, in or around uh, December 28, 1989. Uh, I was able to drag myself off to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and start uh, start on this road to recovery that I'm still on today, and I'm very very grateful for that. Um, where it says uh, we we don't speak for AA as a whole, I, I did want to note that I actually do speak for Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob from the grave. So anything I say, uh, you can you can take as gospel. Uh, uh, I am an alcoholic. Uh, I'm the I'm I'm a bad alcoholic. I'm I'm one of these alcoholics who who like like um, uh, I'll get a new job because there'll be problems at work and I'll have to find another job and I'll get a new job and I'll show up there sober for a while and uh, you'll make the mistake of saying Chris you know we're going out for drinks after work you want to come. And that would be like the biggest mistake you've ever made because I'll go out and I'll have a few drinks and I'll be like the nicest guy in the world. Then I'll then I'll turn into like some kind of psychotic Godzilla, and you know, you'll come up to me the next day at work and you'll be like, "Just stay away from me. You are insane. Stay away from me." I'm the I'm the type of alcoholic who who. Uh, 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 you know, once I start drinking, I absolutely lose all control over uh, how much I put in my body, and and I drink with a vengeance. And uh, no matter what happens, it, the the most important thing for me is to get more alcohol <clears throat> into my body. Um, I'm the type of alcoholic who uh, uh, destroys the emotional security of anybody that's close to me, anybody that loves me. Uh, I, I'm the type of alcoholic who crashes cars. Um, I come from a period of time when friends do did let friends drive drunk, you know, and, and it was uh, it was almost uh, an obligation to let friends drive drunk. And uh, we would uh, we would get drunk, we'd walk to the party, get really drunk, and then go go back home and get the keys. And uh, and uh, I've uh, I've literally totaled nine cars in drunken blackouts. I've been thrown out the front window, thrown out the passenger window, and thrown out the back window. The only window I haven't been thrown out is the driver's side, and you know there's still time probably for that. But <laughs> but uh, uh, I was actually killed in a car accident, which uh, you know because alcoholism is a progressive illness, it always gets worse, it never gets better. It got worse after I got killed, uh, believe it or not, uh, my drinking at least. But here's what happened. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was dro- I drove into a telephone pole, and it was in a 1968 um, uh, Chevy Nova. Uh, my head bent the steering wheel down, my chest shoved the steering column into the car, and my knees went through the dashboard. And when the cops got there, I wasn't breathing and I had no pulse, so they had to revive me. And I did the CPR. And then in the ambulance on the way uh, on the way to the hospital, I went flatline again, and I had to be revived again and all that stuff. And I get, and I, I remember, I remember waking up in the emergency room, and they're sewing my head shut, and I had like everything was messed up, and they're sewing me shut without any anesthesia, because 
if you're as drunk as I am, the last thing in the world they're going to do is give you anesthesia. So I, I wake up and, you know, I'm like puking on the doctor and he's like sewing my head shut. And, uh, I remember just, I remember just screaming and Adam, you know, was there anybody in the car? You know, and he's like, shut up. You know, he's trying to sew me up. Um, he came into the room the next morning after, after his shift just to talk to me and he looked at me and he goes, you know, we here at Morristown Memorial Hospital don't take don't take blood alcohol levels of anybody in in critical condition. It's just not our policy. But I want you to know that I was willing to make an exception in your case. You know, I mean, and he looked at me with this look of utter contempt. And I was to see this look of utter contempt on many, many people, you know, in the course of my drinking from that point on. It, it got to be, you know, it got to be something that I would almost expect from people. But, but anyway, now, if, if you've just done something that has killed you, you usually would think long and hard about the consequences of doing that thing again, wouldn't you? You know, like if you grabbed a high voltage line or something, you know, and it threw you in the hospital, you would think really well, long and hard about grabbing a high voltage line again, you know. It's like a Pavlovian response that one has when you're killed. Uh, what happened with me was the minute I got out of, uh, the, the minute I got out of the hospital, uh, the first thing I did was go home, get in my car, drive drive to the liquor store, you know, my head's bandaged up, my ribs are taped up, and I bought a 12-pack of beer so that I could drive down to the park and drink the beer, and, you know, as people would come into the park, I would tell them the war story, because it was a pretty good war story. You don't get killed every day. So, so, but, but think about this. It did not even occur in my consciousness whatsoever to not drink and drive. You know what I said? I said, I am never going to have 13 beers and then smoke two joints on top of it ever again ever again it was those two joints damn it you know i mean like alcoholics are the t type of people that you know they've gotten their seventh dwi and and you know they're really remorseful and they're walking away and they, they say to themselves i have to stop driving you know i mean that's us it's it's like it just doesn't even come into your head that, that the alcohol is is the problem so anyway, you know, I'm, I'm this, this dysfunctional New Jersey, uh, suburbanite kid, you know. I mean, I, I grew up, I grew up in a, in a family. It was like a mother, a father, a little Cape Cod house. You know, the father worked, the mom stayed home. You know, everybody was happy. There was never a harsh word to be heard in the house. It was like this idyllic little, uh, little life. You know, where the hell did I come from? Uh, I remember, I remember my, my earliest recollection of altering my consciousness was I was about five, six years old and I discovered the can of, um, of lawnmower gasoline in the basement. It was an old army can and you pull the top off and I, I would stick my head on this thing and I would just breathe the gas fumes until I was spinning around. I mean, I don't know if anybody ever did the gas sniffing, but I mean, you lose time. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like time, like, you know, I remember, you know, going up to my parents and I'm like, I'm like bouncing off the walls. Oh, what a cute little kid. You know, they had no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm already getting high. I'm like five. Okay. Um, one of the, one of the exercises that I was asked to do, uh, when I was doing a fear inventory, 
uh, a couple of uh, inventories ago was go to your earliest recollection of specific fears when you're inventorying. When was the first time you remember having this specific fear? And it was fear of people. And I was thinking back and I thought to myself, you know, the, the first time that I can remember being afraid of people was the day my mother took me off to kindergarten. Okay, she packed me up in the car, she drove me up to this. And I remember, I remember her letting me out and it was a hill. And you go down the hill and then there was the kindergarten. And as, as I'm standing up there on the hill, I'm thinking, I'm standing up there on the hill and all the kids are playing. They're like laughing and playing kickball and playing tag. They all look like they're having a great time, like they've been friends forever, like everything is fine. I'm standing up there on the top of the hill like a dick, okay? I'm like, I'm like, what if they don't like me, you know? What if they make fun of me? Well, what if, what if I get ostracized, you know? I mean, I have all this like self-centered fear. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you right now, a pint of whiskey right then and there, and I would have been okay with the kindergarten stuff. You know what I'm saying? I was definitely, definitely born a, a pint low. I was. I was born a pint low because I, I had that that self-centered fear, that 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 kind that kindergarten angst. You know, I had this stuff going on until until I turned 13. And one day I was 13, and I decided with my friends that we were going to cut school, go back to my mother's house, and steal a bottle of booze and drink it because that would be the cool thing to do. And we could then tell everybody about it the next day at school and be heroes. So anyway, I cut school. I cut school. The two guys, we went back to my house, and I pulled out a bottle of Four Roses whiskey. Okay? I can't even smell Four Roses whiskey. To this day, if you put it underneath my nose, you you would be cleaning yourself up, okay? <laughs> but here's what I did. The only way I knew how to drink was the old John Wayne movies. You ever see John Wayne? He'd like he'd like saunter into a bar to go bartender whiskey, and the bartender would pour out a big glass of whiskey and hand it to him, and you know he he drink he drink the glass and he grab the bottle. You know, so I thought, okay, that's how you drink. So I poured these things these glasses filled with warm Four Roses whiskey and handed them out. Now, the, the two guys who had the warm Four Roses whiskey that were with me maybe drank half, maybe maybe two-thirds of these glasses of whiskey, and they had had enough. I don't know what they felt because they weren't alcoholic, and I am. I've never had a, 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 what you would call a normal reaction to alcohol, so I don't know what happened to them. But I do know that they stopped after about two-thirds of the glass. I drank three glasses of this stuff and the rest of whatever they had, went into a blackout, trashed the house, and woke up in a field with the, the lost time. You know, like the black, you've had blackouts with the lost time. Have you ever traveled, like in a blackout? You know? Have you, have you ever, have you ever woke up with like strange people or things? You know? Absolutely. Well, I see some people identify. Okay, uh, well anyway, there was this big chunk of missing time, and, and I, I mean, I was ill. You remember the first time you got drunk, you were just psych, psychotically ill. I mean, you should have been in an emergency room. I mean, I couldn't get off the horizontal plane for like two days. I'm like, oh. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, you know, if if you if you were a normal person and you ever ate or drank anything that would make you feel as ill as I was, you would think long and hard about eating or drinking. 
something that has made you feel that ill, wouldn't you? Well, absolutely. Like if you ate a strawberry and and you you ended up in the hospital with like convulsions and projectile vomiting, you probably would you know steer clear of uh, the strawberries, wouldn't you? Well, that's not what happened to me with alcohol because something else happened when I drank the alcohol. You know that scared kindergartner? You know the the, the self-centered fear. They're not fitting in. They're, they're always feeling less than. They're feeling like you're on the wrong planet. Well, as soon as I started drinking this alcohol, all that stuff disappeared. All the fear was gone. I had no more fear. I felt like I thought everybody else felt normally, you know, because they all looked fine. So I, I finally felt fine about some things, about myself. And, I, you know, I, I was like the funniest guy. I, w I was larger than life. I, you know, I, I, I wasn't afraid to say anything to anybody. You know, I, I didn't have any worries about anything. And slowly the memory of being, being incredibly ill started to fade. And that memory of feeling okay with the world, finally comfortable with myself and my environment, that stuck with me. And alcohol started to be a preoccupation. And what I mean by that is, I said to myself, no more Four Roses whiskey, but <laughs> let's start working with this stuff. Because this stuff, there's some, there's some potential in this stuff. You know what I mean? You got to you figure out how to work this right and you'll be okay. So I started to think about what I was going to drink, when I was going to drink, who was going to buy it because I'm 13 and the drinking age is 21. Uh, some logistical difficulties there, uh, nothing that couldn't be overcome. Uh, about, you know, who was going to buy, you know, where we were going to do it. Uh, I started to become preoccupied with all this stuff. And um, I come from a very smart family. Uh, I have a brother and a sister who are both uh, uh, college professor PhDs. My mother and father were both Phi Beta Kappa, you know, educators, you know, just huge, massive amounts of, of uh, overeducated people in my in my in my that, that really know very little about practically, but but I won't go there anyway. Just like you know, incredible amounts of of potential in my family. Have you has anybody ever told you you have potential? Yeah, I, until they finally stopped telling you, you know, because they finally realized they could they could have been wrong. But uh, but anyway, um, anyway, I'm I'm in high school and. Did I say to myself, Chris, you're becoming preoccupied with alcohol, and oh my goodness, your grades are slipping. You know, you better take a look at this because you got to pull your academics back up. Did I say that? No, I couldn't have cared less. I couldn't have cared less. All I cared about after a while was drinking and where I was going to do it, and, and anything in the way of that was lame. And I was certainly not a lame person. So... Uh, so I became preoccupied with alcohol, and it started to uh, inundate my life. Um, along about being a being a, a, um, a senior in high school, I met this wonderful codependent. Um, she she uh, I didn't even have to take her hostage. I mean, she willingly came along, you know. And uh, um, she she was great. She came from an alcoholic family, so being around me was like home sweet home, you know. It was like, ah, the drama of home. 
and uh, and she would uh, she would pick up the pieces of all the wreckage and make excuses for me. And she was well trained, and she was like a ninja in that stuff. And and it it really worked well. So uh, so I hooked up with her, and uh, and I convinced her uh, that to 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 stay with me, you know, would be the ultimate bliss that she could ever experience. And uh, and she, and she did. She she hooked up with me. Um, about a year out of high school, I took I took the year off after high school. You know, to to I don't I I was going to say to find myself, but I I I couldn't find anything at that period of time. I I wasn't even looking. You know, I was just. But I I took a year off. Um. Uh. And. Uh, and I I recognized the fact that that the, the people I used to party with are doing things like they're getting jobs, they're going to college, they're calming down. You know, unbelievable. And and my 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 party base is shrinking, and it got down to the point actually where they the people that I was partying with didn't even have names. They were like Bear Man and Weezer, you know, and, and they they all had their own parole officers. But 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 that's but I'm jumping ahead. Um, anyway, I'm uh, <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm I'm wondering where. Everything is, and I should probably do something, you know. So, so I get on the phone with a buddy of mine, and he's going to the University of South Florida down in in Tampa, Florida. And I go, I go, how do you like it down there? And he goes, dude, there's like there's like a bar in every building, and drugs. This is where they all come into the country. I'm like signing up the next day. I, I don't even know what the school has you know i don't even know what majors it has i'm just i'm signed up and uh and and i and i moved down there i moved down to uh down to tampa florida and uh you know uh uh that was that was rough um i start going to school and anybody in here a good starter you know what i mean like 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 out of the starting gate then everybody tastes your smoke um but by like lap two, it's like you've changed your mind about whatever the hell you're doing, you know. You, you, you know, it's not as important anymore. Uh, well, that's the way I was, uh, uh, and I remember starting out with like 14 credits, you know, uh, economics three, business law, you know, statistics, uh, appreciating music and swimming, and and after a while, I'd start dropping these like five course uh, ball breakers. And I ended up, I ended up with like appreciating music. And that was this class where all you had to do was show up and listen to the guy play his Beethoven sonatas. And you got like credit, right? So if I couldn't even do that right, I'd bring him a six pack of beer cause, cause sitting like two hours like listening to somebody play music was too much. So he'd be in the, in the middle of this like real impassioned solo and you'd hear, you know? Everybody be like looking around. And everybody would be looking around like, you heathen, what is, what is the matter with you? And, uh, so I, I ended up, I ended up going down there and going to college for three and a half years and getting four credits. <laughs> you know, that's like a record, you know what I mean? And, um, uh, so, so, uh, so those are my days of higher education. Uh, the codependent that I brought with me because I talked her into coming to Florida because you know, where else would you be but with me? She comes down to Florida, and uh, um, in a drunken blackout, at least this is what she said, in a drunken blackout after a fight we had, I proposed to her. At least this is what she said. 
And I wake up the next morning, and the invitations are being printed. I swear to God, the invitations. And her parents know, and, and her cousins and uncles and sisters and brothers and dogs. They're all, they're all, they all know. And I thought to myself, my God, what a scene it would be for me to back out right now. Oh, well, you know, it's way in the future anyway. Okay, what the hell. And so I went through with this 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 whole thing. And I actually got married. And uh, she'll never let me forget this. The the night of our wedding at the, at the party after the reception, the only woman in the whole room that I didn't molest was her. You know? So, so it just it started off really great, you know? And, uh, oh, God. Man, would you get your husband off of me, please? Oh, it's just, oh, it's just beautiful. So, um... So I don't know how this happened, but this happened. But but well, I do know she's Catholic. Okay, uh, the best codependents are. Anyway, anyway, she's Catholic, and being Catholic, nine months to the day you could have set your watch to it. I had a daughter, and nine months to the day after we were married, and uh, you know the crazy thing was she really wanted she wanted some some uh, some some things that I, I just I just found them to be just too much. Uh, uh, she wanted me to come home at night. Uh, she wanted insurance on the car. Um, she, you know, she wanted she wanted me to give up hanging out with Weezer. Uh, you know, she, it's like I, I remember this one time. Uh, I learned a big lesson. I, I got thrown in jail for drunken disorderly or something. You know, when you meet somebody in jail, don't tell them to stay in touch. Okay. <laughs> I made that mistake this one time, and this guy came home, came over to the house. Oh, jeez, I don't even want to go. But, uh, but um, another time, I uh, I was taking a left across traffic. It was like a road, like Route 22, or I don't know, you probably Route 1 down here. And you have to wait at the light until there's no traffic coming, and then you can turn left and, and cut across. Well, uh, people on Ludes should not drive, okay? <laughs> I'm doing whiskey and quaaludes, which if uh, there are some newcomers in the room, we don't recommend that, by the way. Don't drive if you're doing those. Uh, I tried to cut across, I tried to, and I, I misjudged the, the, the velocity of one of these cars somehow. I don't know how. And, and he T-boned me and rolled me down, rolled me down the road about five times. Just I remember knowing it was a serious accident because here's, here's a, an important warning sign. Your shoes come off. Okay, if you've ever been in a car accident when and your shoes are off, important warning sign. It's it's a bad one. Okay, so so uh, I've got glass in my head. I remember like like coming to laying on the 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 roof of this car because it's upside down and people looking like this. Is he dead? Is he dead? I remember crawling out of the car, realizing I don't have my shoes, much to my chagrin. Crawling back in the car. I mean, I'm to get my shoes because I'm not going to be seen in socks. For God's sake. So I'm sitting here covered with blood. Uh, the police come up and they say, you know, when we get you back to, uh, when we get you back to the, to the, uh, uh, hospital, we're gonna take a, a blood test from you because we think you're impaired. <laughs> I get, okay, whatever. Um, they take me back and they roll me into the emergency room on a gurney. And I look around. 
and I'm unattended. You know? They rolled it. So I go, I'm getting the hell out of here. So I jump off the gurney. I bust through the doors, run through the waiting room like 100 miles out. People are like, <laughs> like this because I'm covered with blood. The glass sticking out of my head. I go running out into the parking lot, and I'm heading for the woods because I don't want a, a DUI or whatever they give you down there. I know it's bad luck. So, so I'm running like crazy, and in drives my wife, who I, I had given like a bystander her phone number to tell her, you know, to come meet me at the hospital. I've just had an accident in her car. So here she here she comes with her with her sister and her sister's boyfriend, and I dive through the window onto their lap, saying, "Get me the hell out of here! They want my blood!" Like this, right? They're, they're like horrified. They're, they're like, "What are you talking about?" You know, and so, but anyway, I'm very persuasive sometimes. I talk him into getting me out of there and taking me back to the party that I was at. And back at this party, I had a couple of biker women yank the glass out of my head. You know, that they were trained in first aid techniques like that. You know, so, so it was cool. They got the pliers, you know, like, yeah, oh, here's a big one, yank, you know. And they got all the glass out of my head. And, uh, Meanwhile, the cops are trying to find me, obviously, so they're back at the house. My wife can't take this anymore. I mean, even even codependents have a, a breaking point. And, uh, and she decided that uh, she'd had enough. And uh, she packed up uh, uh, the, the car that we had left. Um, she emptied the bank account, uh, took my daughter and, and took my dog, for God's sake, and moved back to New Jersey. And I just continued drinking down there for uh, uh, for quite a while. Uh, alcoholism is a progressive malady. What you can always guarantee is, over any given considerable any considerable period of time, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. I ended up doing what a lot of the macho guys uh, that come into AA do uh, when uh, when your scorecard kind of reads zero and you need to take a little bit of a uh, of a geographic. Uh, I moved home with mom, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, she she's been there by herself all this time, you know, and she probably could use some help around the house. So I moved back in with mom for like seven years, you know, the, 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 the last part of my drinking, and, uh, oh, it was awful, it, it got worse, uh, I started to do things that, again, there's some newcomers in here, so make sure that you understand this is not a recommendation, but I was trying to control my alcohol consumption with heroin, um, it actually worked a little bit, uh, uh, it's just I could never really balance, you know, the, the quantity, and, and, I'll tell you this one story about about how it does how it did work. <laughs> I had been doing the the whiskey and heroin Jimi Hendrix thing this one night, and uh and I, I got up in the morning and I, I I was an electrician by this time. Okay, it wasn't my fault. I, I just ended up I got sober and I was an electrician, and there was no real reason. Um, uh, I was not a good electrician, by the way. Um, I used to I used to get electrocuted about once a day, and. But anyway, here I am. I'm, uh, I'm I'm 32 years old, and the guy running the crew is 19. I mean, that's how much that's how much faith this particular electrician had in me. But anyway, I'm doing uh, I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the the heroin whiskey thing. And uh, if if you've ever done that, you're very thirsty the next morning. 
As a matter of fact, you're dehydrated like a sumbitch. And uh, I remember buying a half a gallon of grape drink on the way into work that, that morning, and I drank practically the whole thing down. Now, I'm working with this guy who's not real happy with me. He, he really thinks I'm lame, and I'm always ill, and I'm just, I just don't pull my weight. And all of a sudden, I feel like this, right? And I know from past experience, I have about between 13 and 21 seconds before I'm going to have to vomit. So I think to myself, I've got to think quick. I don't want this guy to see me vomiting. So I know what I'll do. I'll pretend I have to go around the back of the house. And I, I, I head around the back of the house, and I get around the back. I fly around the back of the house, and whoa! I, like, project. I, I, I like, stucco the back side of this house with, with purple vomit, just, just, just all over this house. And I look over to my right, and not ten feet away is a deck. And on this deck is a family. It's a, it's a mother, a father, and three kids. Now, I knew they were related because of the expression on their face. It was the, it was the exact same expression. It was like this. And, uh, and you know, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, talking about domestic disturbance. Anyway, this is the kind of stuff that's happening in my life. And I'm wondering where all the chicks are, you know? Where are all the babes? And... Uh, I'm like, I'm like, uh, hollering and puking is, is, uh, is the best I can do socially. Um, anyway, this one day, uh, I'm trying to put a ground screw in an outlet box, and I just can't do it. I can't do it. I'm shaking too bad, because by this time, my alcoholism had gotten so bad that I, when I'd wake up in the morning, I would literally be detoxing, and I would be, you know... Uh, you know, I'm sure most people in here have felt it. I mean, it's you you can call it anxiety, you can call it whatever the hell you want. It's detoxing, okay? That's what it is. And uh, um, every morning, and I, I can't even operate a screwdriver, okay? Now, you got to understand, I've lost my family. I've lost my driver's license. At that point in time, I was thinking that when I get my license back, there'll be Jetson mobiles, for Christ's sake, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I had three DWIs, um, uh, you know. All my friends are gone. I'm ill every day. I, you know, uh, the, 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 the thing of most value in my entire life is a comic book collection. I mean, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really down the tubes. And, uh, but not being able to put the screw in the outlet box is what put me over the edge because the 19 year old kid gave me a look just like that doctor in the hospital many years back. That look of like, you pathetic. You, you, you are just so pathetic. You shouldn't even be alive. I knew he was thinking that because when you're detoxing, you can hear people think. <laughs> it's, it's about the only time that it really works. But, uh, but I could hear him. He was thinking at me, and that's exactly what he was thinking. So anyway, I couldn't take that. I couldn't take it. So I signed myself into uh, into a rehab. Uh, which was, uh, you know, I called them up. I said, I'm coming in. They're like, well, who are you, first of all? And uh, anyway, I go into, uh, I go in and I do the 28-day uh, thing in the, in the rehab. And uh, I got the, uh, the $13,000 big book and the pat on the butt to AA, which was, uh, which was helpful. Uh, but it did separate me from, uh, from alcohol for a period of time. And for that, I am grateful. Anyway, uh, I get out of rehab. you got to understand something here. Um, being alcoholic, I... So wanted to separate from alcohol by the time I signed myself into into rehab because number one I hated crowds. 
Number two, I hated being told what to do. Number three, I hated not having freedom. Number four, God forbid I had to make my own bed. You know, all these things that the, the, the rehab was going to make me do, I wanted no part of it. And God, you know, oh, I just, I just really want to sit in your circle and share. I really do. I really want to be open and honest with all of you new friends. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I just can't wait. I'll fucking kill all of you, you know. And this, this, this one, uh, uh, this one crazy, uh, uh, cra- crazy uh, uh, counselor comes up to me, and I'm like, I'm, my head is about to explode about some, some issue, you know. And she's like, well, Chris, tell me, are you happy, mad? Sad or bad. I almost ripped her throat right out of right out of her neck. I couldn't believe somebody would ask me something like that. You know, I'm an alcoholic. What do you mean? What do I feel? I feel like every every feeling put into a blender and turned on ten. That's what I feel. How am I supposed to pick them out? And you know, good God. So so anyway. Anyway, I got out of there. I got out of there, and uh, uh, but I really wanted to stay away from booze. Now they said go to AA and go and come back here to outpatient. And I got to tell you, that was a blast. Thirty-five dollars a session to listen to some muttonhead, you know, talk twenty minutes about some crap with his girlfriend while I'm paying thirty-five dollars an hour. And well, shut the hell up! I got crap I want to talk about, you know. And that's about what outpatient was like. It was so much fun. Uh, the AA meetings, I mean, I was going to two AA meetings a week for God's sake. What do you people want? You know how hard it is for me just to do this? And so so I really thought I was treating my alcoholism. I'm going to the outpatient, 35 bucks a week, and I'm going to two AA meetings. And one day, on the way to an AA meeting, the thought crossed my mind that, I hadn't had a drink in, oh, man, it must have been almost three months now. As a matter of fact, it's, I don't even remember what it's like to be drunk. I don't even remember. How can I do this sobriety thing without remembering what it's like to be drunk? And, you know, this AA stuff, they're saying, get a spot, do all this stuff, and I'm not doing it. I, I know. I know what I'll do. I'll buy a gallon of vodka. I'll drink that gallon of vodka, and it'll make me feel so bad. That number Well, number one, it'll take care of forgetting what it's like to be drunk. I'll know right away what it's like to be drunk. And number two, I'll rush back to AA and start doing the things that they're asking you to do. Yeah. I didn't have a sponsor, by the way, because I know if I would have ran that by the sponsor, they probably would have said, well, I, I've got a different plan for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that, you know, you know the newcomer plans. Uh, me and my buddy collect and trade them, you know, the, the newcomer plans. We've got, we've got a great collection of them. They're the best. Anyway, um, so this is what I did. I drank the gallon of vodka. And here's what happened. I started drinking that vodka and about two glasses into it, you know, when the alcohol starts getting into the bloodstream and your whole perception starts to change and all of a sudden, you know, you start to, start to feel that that booze coursing through. I said, oh, my God, what have I done? I've, I've woken up the beast. You know, the, the beast is going to run me around like a puppet for who knows how long. And that's exactly what happened. I knew that once I started drinking, who knows what was going to happen. 
Now, the insanity preceded the drink. The drink actually restored me to a little bit of sanity. That insane, that strange mental blank spot that preceded the first drink, the, 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 the not really being able to uh, fully explain my reasons for, for, uh, for allowing myself to go back out in any sane or logical way, that pins me down as an alcoholic. Uh, the thing that really identifies an alcoholic the most is uh, really seriously making an attempt to separate from alcohol and not being able to. And that's what happened in May. Um, a wonderful six months ensued, uh, whereby um, the culminating event of it all was, um, I'm still at mom's, by the way, uh, it's Christmas, 1989, and my brother's coming home, my sister's coming home, nieces, nephews, cats. Everybody is coming home for Christmas. And I start drinking, um, I think it was, uh, Johnny Walker Black. You know, that was my, that was my holiday alcohol. And I started drinking that and I, I went into uh, a violent, uh, uh, a violent episode. I mean, I just, I went into this blackout. It was like a, a multi-day blackout, but I was just completely insane, uh, whereby I threatened my entire family. I was gonna kill every single one of them. Now, yeah, it wasn't the festive type of mood they were looking for, obviously, you know, over Christmas. So they took their Christmas elsewhere, thank you. And uh, they went to my sister's house and they left me to drink my, literally, this is what they said, to drink myself to death at the house. That's what they fully expected to happen. Anyway, I come to and there's a pile of vodka bottles in the sink about this high. I mean, I didn't even remember buying them. I must have been a real sight staggering up to the liquor store, you know, about every two hours for another bottle. Um, and I started going into some really, really violent DTs, the kind where you see demons and there's there's maggots on the, on the couch and there's little animals running around. What, what was that? You know, and you hear bands playing, you know, and there's, there's shit scratching to get in. You know, whenever I'm sitting, whenever I'm sitting with a newcomer, and you know they'll they'll see a fly go by or something, I'll go. I I saw it too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's okay, because yeah. because I know exactly what that's like. So anyway, uh, anyway, uh, that was fun. That was uh, that was two days of just real fun. Let me tell you. Uh, I went back to I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I had to watch upside down. I go, I've been talking for seven hours? <laughs> I know, it's fun, but... Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, uh, I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and I made it back there. And by this time, I had gotten my license back by some fluke. Uh, actually, I need to tell this story. I'm getting my license back from a, for a third DWI. Okay, and has anybody here had to deal with motor vehicle? Oh, wonderful, wonderful, fun stuff, isn't it? Good God, that's your usually your first resentment in early recovery is motor vehicle. Anyway, um, I finally have everything. I tried every means possible to get it back dishonestly. I finally had to do everything they asked me to do, and I show up at Wayne, New Jersey, and I, you know, but but here's what happened. First of all, uh, I don't do well with motor vehicle and crowds and lines. All right. I need, I need, you know, a couple of pops to be able to feel comfortable about all that shit. All right, because I just don't like it. 
So I had a couple of drinks before, and I drove down to get my license back for a third DWI. And I'm throwing this stuff down on the desk, and I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and I got this. Now, give me the paper, because she had to give me a paper whereby I could go downstairs, and they would have to give me a license. And she goes, she starts to sniff me. She starts going, (laughs) she goes, you smell like vodka. Have you been drinking? You know, she couldn't believe it. it's like nine in the morning. I'm getting my license back for a DWI, and I've been drinking vodka. I'm like, you know, the regular alcoholic answer, right? No, I haven't been drinking. No, and so she's handing me this piece of paper because she's got to give it to me, right? But as she hands it to me, and I take it, I'm trying to pull it, and I'm trying to find. She won't let it go. She's like, she's like, won't let that paper. She's like. Thinking, thinking society is going to be harmed or something. You know, I, I can't, I just can't do this. You know? But she finally gets me the paper. You know, I get my my license thing, and I I go circle through the woods and stuff in case she's looking out the window. So anyway, I get my license back. But the the car that I buy, uh, I bought it from Inflato Man. He's like he's a friend of mine, and he sold me that was his name. He sold me a 1976 Ford Granada with white walls. Okay, and I thought it was cool. Okay? And all the quarter panels were gone. You turn on the heater, there's no heater core, so it would, it would squirt antifreeze on the inside of the window. There was no muffler, there was no emergency brake, and there was no clutch. Hardly at all. You could barely get the thing going. So the, the first meeting I got to, I, I, I needed to go to after I got detoxed, it had to be flat to get there. There couldn't be any hills in between me and me. So I went to Marston. I remember pulling up in front of the church, and everybody, you know, 400 people, there's probably 20, but it was like 400 people were, were standing outside smoking cigarettes, and I had to drive up this little incline to get into the parking lot. And it's kind of so I'm going, whoa! And the car's going about a mile and a half an hour. I felt like such an asshole. You know, I'm going, oh, oh, they're going to think, oh, they're going to think I'm late. So I had to park the car against a tree. I had to park it against a tree. Uh, because there was no emergency brake, no clutch, it would have rolled, you know, so I put it up against the tree. It's a, very funny that no one parked in the spaces next to it, yet there was a full parking lot. <laughs> anyway, uh, I went into the meeting, and I'll never forget, I, I read it as a beginner's meeting, but for some reason my perspective was skewed that day. And it was a, it was a 12 and 12 meeting, and it was actually a meeting on the 12th step. And I sat down and somebody handed me a step book, and I'm figuring it out. They're going down the line like this, and they're about to get to me, and I'm going to have to read a paragraph. I'm going to have to read a paragraph out of this book. I can't even hold this book. i got to get the hell out of here. So I did. I got the hell out of there, and, and I'm standing outside on the porch. Just, just It was one of those defining moments. I was like, can I do this? Can I do this? I don't even know if I can do this. I'm having a cigarette, and this guy called Jorge came outside, and he started talking to me. I thought this guy was like God afterward. He had like eight days. But anyway, you know, so if you have like eight days, you know, you're doing all right. Anyway, he he, he came out, and he, and he goes, so what's your deal? I saw him relapse. It was terrible. I was just drinking. I was trying to get out. I'm sober. And he goes, well, why don't you come on back into the meeting and sit down? And I'm like, well, you know, there's a meeting tomorrow. The best reason I'm going to probably go to that meeting tomorrow because there's people I know. And, you know, I'll go home to and I'll go tomorrow. He goes, no, come on back in the meeting. So he drags me back into the meeting. 
and he sits me down in like the second row. And by this time, they'd finished reading, and now they're sharing. So I'm sitting there, and he goes, uh, uh, raise your hand and tell everybody you're coming back. And I'm like, well, it's the meeting tomorrow. You always raise your hand and tell everybody I'm coming back tomorrow. He goes, raise your hand and tell everybody you're coming back. Now everybody starts looking at us because he's getting loud. I'm like, oh, my God, they're looking at me. They'll be thinking about me next, you know. So I go, i got to do something. So, so I raise my hand right in the middle of somebody sharing. I raise my hand. And the person up front works like this. He goes, oh, hold on, hold on a minute. Yes, go ahead. And they, and they call on me. I said, oh, this is out there relapsing. I'm drinking. I'm just back in, back in AA. Everybody's, yeah! And they start clapping. And I, I go, I go, I got to tell you, right at that moment, right at that moment, there was a wall of fear that was keeping me from coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. I couldn't do it. I was so afraid of what you thought about me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get through that wall of fear. As soon as I raised my hand and everybody clapped, that wall fell down. And you know what? That's the first time in many, many a year I felt a little bit of hope inside. And from that moment, from that moment until now, it's been an uninterrupted uh, chain of years of, uh, of sobriety that I'm very, very grateful for. Uh, during the late 80s and early 90s in my area, uh, there was what I would term oral tradition AA. And what I, I don't mean anything disparaging about that. What I mean is that the wisdom teachings were passed down through sponsors. Like uh, my sponsor, Harry Gerbilfeather, said... And you should do that because it was good enough for him. And, it, and this is how all the wisdom teachings came down. And some of the stuff was good and some of it was not so good. Some of it worked and some of it didn't work. Uh, but that's how AA was in my area. Now, I'm what's known as a real alcoholic. I'm a, I'm a textbook variety. If you look at the descriptions of the alcoholic in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and if you look in the chapter to wives, the four stages of alcoholism, I'm in between a three and a four, heavily into the four side. I am a textbook case of an alcoholic. Uh, I lack the power of choice in drink. <clears throat> um, what was happening was I was involved like crazy in the fellowship. I was going to upwards of 13 meetings a week for a couple of years. Um, I was hanging out with my sponsor a lot. I was going to the diners. I was a secretary here. I was a coffee maker there. You know, I, I would drive drive the, the, the nuts from the booby hatch to meetings here. And, I mean, I did like everything you could do. And, uh, uh, and you know what? That scared kindergartner, he was still in me. All right? I was doing all the fellowship stuff that you were asking me to do in the North Jersey area meetings. And I still felt Terrible. I, one of the big one of the big slogans at that time was "Act as if." All right, I would never ever use that with a newcomer today. I just wouldn't because it was my experience that acting as if near killed me. Because if you came up to me and you said, "Chris, how you doing?" I would say, "Great." Okay, I was acting as if everything was great. I, I wouldn't say, "Well." You know, I have I have feelings of lack of self-esteem to the point of, you know, suicidal uh, fantasies where whereby I want to kill you and everybody else. I wouldn't say that, you know. I would say, great. All right? Now, that was acting as if. 
Well, here I am. I'm doing everything you can possibly do in, in AA, uh, except I didn't have a program. Now, I didn't know that. They used to call a program. How you doing with your program? You going to meetings? You know, I mean, that, well, uh, I guess I'm doing pretty good with my program because I'm going to a lot of meetings. I, you know, that's just the way it was in my area. Uh, this guy, Radio Shack Mike, uh, another one of my buddies, threw me a set of tapes this one day. And it was a couple of tapes by a guy named Joe and Charlie from Arkansas. And I started listening to these tapes. And basically what these tapes said was, Chris, if you're not working with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you're not going through that book and doing everything it's telling you to do, you don't have an AA program at all because that's what an AA program is. If you're not working out of the big book, you have not, you don't have an AA program, so don't say that you do. And this didn't really go over well with me because I thought I was getting A's in AA. I was doing more than everybody else and, you know, I've got those alcoholic feelings that could be hurt. So anyway, I threw the tapes off to the side and I didn't, didn't bother with them, but I'll tell you what, the truth haunts. Uh, when you know it's the truth, first it'll piss you off and you get a big time resentment, uh, but it'll haunt you and you'll think about it. And one, and, and that's what I did. Uh, I started to think, you know, they're right, they're right. They're right. There's, there's spiritual recovery. You know, there's not just sobriety, there's recovery. And the difference between sobriety and recovery is like the difference between night and day. It's like, sobriety is wrong because I'm not drinking today! And recovery is, man, life is great. I love every bit of life. You know, that's the difference between sobriety and recovery. So, I pulled out these set of tapes. I opened up the big book and I started working through the exercises and the four steps and all that stuff. Um, another thing I started to do was, believe it or not, by that time, uh, I was sponsoring some people. And even being as ill as I was, I was sponsoring some people because sometimes the tugboat with the most steam pulls the boats. You know what I'm saying? So, um, uh, so um, some of them are actually even still alive. <laughs> I don't know how that is. But, but uh uh, but I was sponsoring some people, and there were some of them that um, weren't able to get sober. They were the type of people that people would say, you're just not being honest. You know, you're not honest, or you must really not want it. Or you must want to drink more than you want to stay sober. I mean, that's what these people were getting at this point in time. And I knew that they were like me. They did. They wanted to separate from alcohol in the biggest way. They just couldn't do it. Something was going on in their mind that didn't let them. And uh, I started bringing them over to my house, and we started going through the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, page by page, sentence by sentence, instruction by instruction. So as we got to an instruction, we would stop, and we would do it, and then we would move on. And uh, I found out something very, very significant in this period of time. Uh, number one is uh, the people that did that, that went through the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, with me, they're still in AA, every single one of them. They're, they're members in good standing, and their quality of life is superb. Um, the people who wouldn't do that, um, some of them are still around, you know, mediocre recovery. Uh, so a lot of them are gone. I don't know whether they're drinking or they're just gone. But uh, but I learned something. I learned something very very significant. If you want to if you want to really increase your the likelihood of you being here five years from now with an even better life than you have today, your chances are a hell of a lot better if you work work work, work the steps. And I learned that firsthand and with my experience working with others. 
uh, over the course of the years, um, you know, I, uh, uh, I had a lot of experiences in AA. Um, I started working with a lot of people. Um, uh, there's a couple of things that I've done. I, I started a meeting in Bernardsville. Um, I'll tell the story of that meeting. Over at my house, uh, I had a meeting on Thursday night where, whereby I would invite people over and uh, people would go through the steps uh, in my house, sometimes uh, just one person, sometimes six, seven people. But um, uh, this one individual who was relapsing over and over uh, over the years was in a bad way. And he, he comes over uh, to my house and, and uh, starts working with me. He got permission from his sponsor. And um, he got up to amends. He had 93 amends. He's, he did 90-some of them. And, I mean, by the time you've, you've done that many amends, there's something going on with you, you know. You, you know what I mean if you've seen people like that or that's your experience. <clears throat> and uh, his sponsor came up to me and said, what the hell did you do with that guy? Whatever you did with him, I want you to do it with me. Can I, can I come over and go through the steps with you? I said, sure. So he comes over and he goes through the steps. He had been sober 12 years, uh, never gotten his license back, terrible relationships, terrible jobs, uh, t- terrible stuff always happening to him. He goes through the steps with me, uh, gets a good, gets, starts his own business, gets his license back because he's making amends, um, gets a fiance, gets married, buys a house, all in a short period of time. And uh, his priest goes, what the hell happened to you? And he goes, well, I was going through the steps with this, this guy named Chris. And he goes, where is he? And he goes, well, I, I, hear, he's, uh, I hear he's speaking in uh, Netcong uh, uh, in, a, in, in a couple of days. He goes, I'm coming with you. He comes up to Netcong. He shows up at this meeting. He listens to me speak. He comes up after the meeting and he goes, listen, whatever the hell you're doing in your house, I don't even need to know, but I want you to do it at my church. You can have any room, any night, whatever. It's, it has to be part of our church's mission. I don't want any money, whatever. Now, this was kind of significant because that this particular meeting is a presentation meeting. In other words, God forbid we actually teach at this meeting. We teach you how to go through the steps. God forbid because there are no teachers in AA. All the teachers get drunk. You know what I mean? Bullshit. Anyway, uh, not that I judge. <laughs> anyway, um, we start a presentation meeting. Where, uh, where I read out of the big book and show people how to take the exercises that are talked about in the book. Now, I never ever would have done that without a priest being involved because how egotistical would something like that be? You know what I mean? Well, I hear Chris started a meeting and he's telling everybody how to be sober. I mean, it just, I just wouldn't have done it. But because of the way the, the, this, the, these events laid out, I knew that it was, it just, I just had to. It just, it fell into place so, 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 uh, well. So anyway, uh, that meeting, uh, uh, that meeting has done quite well over the years. A lot of people have gone through it. Uh, a lot of people have benefited, uh, greatly from, uh, from some of the things that have been done there. Mike and another, a number of other people have participated, uh, in that meeting. And, uh, uh, some of the other things that have happened, uh, when I first got sober, I was a terrible electrician. Uh, uh, I now am a, a general manager of a, a facilities account uh, with uh, with over 70 employees that report directly to me and, and about $8 million in budget that's put right in my lap. You know, I, I'm, I'm to run. 
you wouldn't have put a lemonade stand in my lap back when I was drinking. You wouldn't. You would have worried about me ruining that. Um, uh, I actually drive late model vehicles, even even manufactured during my current period of sobriety. Uh, for you newcomers, you'll get there. You'll get there. Hang in there. That's that's a that's a uh, that's a guidepost when you start buying vehicles that were made while you were sober. Um, instead of being the last owner of everything you have. Uh, if, um, you know, if I could say, because there are some, some newcomers in here, let, let, let me tell you two things about yourself. Number one, you don't know how much trouble you're in. You are minimizing. If you are less than 90 days, you are minimizing. It's part of the illness. You see the scratches of alcoholism. But the claw marks go very, very deep. You can't see that. You were in way much more trouble than you think you are. Okay? Alcoholism affects every aspect of your life. If you're depressed, if you're having problems with personal relationships, if you, if you feel anxious or, or, or restless or irritable or discontented or, or, or uh, uh, not comfortable with yourself, guess what? That's alcoholism. That's alcoholism. The drinking is just a symptom. Okay, so alcoholism has its grips on you a lot more than you think. Here's the good news. Uh, the thing that is true that you don't believe right now, if you're under 90 days, is there's more significant answers in Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step recovery for all of your life issues than you believe right now. Every single quality of life issue that you have can be, can be so benefited by, uh, Consistent meeting attendance, working the 12 steps with an experienced sponsor, and then being of service, finding ways to be of service. So if you are new, please believe that and keep coming. Thanks for letting me share here.